Hello, everyone. Welcome to God and Other Delicacies. I'm Nicholas D'Agosto. Thank you all for being here. I hope this show is finding you healthy, safe, and sane wherever you are in the world. Today, I have the privilege of welcoming Joe Hoover to the show. Joe is a religious brother in the Society of Jesus, or the Jesuits, working primarily in the arts. As an actor, he has appeared in numerous shows off-Broadway, and as a playwright, his works have appeared off-off-Broadway and around the country. He founded Xavier Theater and Film with the mission to produce new works in the Catholic arts tradition of creating beauty and promoting human dignity. He is the poetry editor at America Magazine, and his essays and short stories have appeared in several publications, including America Magazine, The Sun, and multiple best-of lists. His first book, O Death, Where Is Thy Sting? A Meditation on Suffering, is coming out from Orbis Books in December of this year. Joe and I have a lot in common. We're both from Omaha, Nebraska. We both went to Creighton Prep and Marquette University for high school and college. And Joe is a friend and colleague to Father George Drance, who was an earlier guest on this podcast. It's an honor to have him here, and I'm thrilled to hear his story. Welcome to the show, Joe. Thanks so much, Nick. It's awesome to be here. I am totally delighted. Oh, thanks, man. You know, you and I are new friends, and you've been mm -hmm. a fan and supporter of the show, which I really appreciate. And I'm really excited to have you here. One thing that we're going to talk about right out of the gate is your book, and you sent me the introduction to it in preparation for this show. And I was really struck by how raw it is at the beginning. Uh, obviously, uh, engaging in a topic about suffering and where God's place is in it, as you reference multiple times in just the introduction, it is a question that we all engage with, that we've all been engaging with since we were children, asking ourselves, why does this happen? Why does that happen? And one thing I really appreciate in your introduction is, is the rawness, is the, the bareness. I mean, I don't know where it's going to go, but it left me really engaged. And I wanted to ask you where that inspiration came from. You talk very, very compellingly and heart-wrenchingly about watching the second tower fall during 9-11 from your balcony. You live in New York. And it's a kind of naked opening. And it's raw, as I've said. And, and I wanted to ask, you know, how long was this book maybe gestating? When was it inspired? And, and what does it feel like to have it coming out? Yeah, Nick, thanks so much. That's a great question. Um, and I really appreciate your feedback. I mean, I think as a writer, your job or my job is just to give the reader an immediate experience um, in this kind of book, just to say, this is what's going on in me. These are the questions I have. Maybe these are the questions that you have. And to say the things that you're maybe not always supposed to say as a religious, you know what? I think atheists have a really good point. Mm. Or it seems that God is completely ridiculous at times. Or why are we set up to just suffer and fail? Which can just seem so discouraging as I say them even out loud. But I don't know who doesn't have that question. I mean, I, I just don't know, unless I'm living in a complete fantasy land, and I look around the world and I see the wicked succeed and the virtuous fail. Who isn't bewildered by that? And even as much as I 
in theory, trust God. I'm a Jesuit, Society of Jesus. I grew up Catholic. I grew up like you did in West Omaha, baptism, altar server. I assume you're an altar server. I was. I was. Passion of Christ, Good Friday. I buy the whole story. I mean, Jesus Christ came to redeem the world through his suffering. He took on man's flesh to understand what it was like to be a man, to walk with us in our pain. I get it all, but it still makes no sense. You know? <laughs> um, I mean, why did that guy leave the tower? You know, I heard stories. I was going to go to work that day, but I didn't. Right. I, I was supposed to be in the second tower. It makes absolutely no sense. I worked with a guy in a large community, which is for mentally challenged people. And it's a beautiful, loving, kind community. And the people who really, really struggle, I mean, with mental and physical disabilities, why me and not them? You know, or why them and not me? You know? Right. And I think everyone has those questions, but some of us just, it keeps coming back. <laughs> and if we can... If we're writers, we just want to write about it because I've written for years and I've had a number of essays and I was asked to write a book. And so I kind of put a bunch of these essays together with new stories and, you know, created this book for Orbis, but it's just the constant theme and I'm just bewildered. And does it all end up nice? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if people will feel hopeful at the end of the book. But at least they're engaged with the story. And I guess just telling the story means there's some hope because talking and trying to figure something out means you're not just throwing your hands up and saying to hell with it all. Were you ever discouraged by people that are your colleagues in in the cloth, you know, or in the, in, in the society that said, you know, this is a little too, this is maybe a little too raw. This doesn't feel like you're speaking from a place that's that's representing, you know, our vision in the light. We'd like it to be represented. Wow. You know, that I didn't think of that because I haven't had that concern because I'm a Jesuit and we're not, we kind of do live in the question sometimes in the Society of Jesus where it's okay to meet life on life's own terms and say, here it is. I can't pretend things are otherwise. Jesus did have a cross. There's no dressing it up. He was brutally tortured and executed by the state. There's no dressing that up. So it's okay to name the ways in which that happens today. So no, the Jesuits have always supported me in my writing and my and, and any of the arts I've done. Others might seem it as too gloomy. I, I don't know. But I don't know. I think that just naming the reality gets where God is because, you know, there's a Greek Orthodox, you know, statement that the world is composed of the logos spermaticoi, the, the, the seeds of the word, the seeds of Christ that, in other words, Christ is reality and not to get too, you know, high theology, whatever, but just that the world is composed of the spirit of God. And so if we just name what's going on in the world, we're getting in touch with God. So that's the thing I've always operated out of. And I think that's what Jesuits operate out of in general. Well, I've always respected that and, and loved that about my Jesuit training. And it's only something that I've come to engage with and understand more as I've gotten older. And also as I've begun re-engaging with Jesuits on the level that I am now, having the, the honor to speak with 
with you at this stage of my life and really ask the, these kinds of questions and hear your thoughts. I felt mm -hmm. like there was an incentive to want me to be childlike and naive in the mm. face of, of the church and what they were offering me. You know, don't ask too many questions, that kind of stuff. One of the wonderful things about the Jesuits is that they felt very comfortable teaching me questions and letting me try to figure them out. One of the things I love doing on this show is engaging with people, both believers and, and faithful devotees, someone like you who is actually within the religion as a representative of the religion, albeit in a specific sense as a Jesuit, and then people outside of it. And uh, it's really good to talk about how all of these people are looking at those questions. And I look forward to hearing more about your story and how you came to all of that stuff. But before we get there, Mm -hmm. Let's absolutely undercut all of this weighty conversation with- Yeah, it's weighty. What did you have for breakfast? <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Um, I'd like to talk about the theology of breakfast that I had and quote some <laughs> Greek good. Uh, scholars. I didn't really have breakfast per se. I had a bowl of black bean soup, which oh. was made last night. So that was around, would that count as breakfast? Oh, sure, yeah. 11.56. I take breakfast That's as first meal of the day. You can couch it, you know, however you want. It, it's not brunch-like, but it's your first meal no. of the day. I'll take it. I don't do brunch. Yeah, that's for, brunch is for pagans. Hey, is yeah. It? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Here we go. This is where we're finally going to get the unadulterated. That's what they're because they're not in mass. They're all having brunch. <laughs> My wife is a very savory um, breakfast lover. She loves to eat leftovers. I love traditional breakfast foods. So even mm -hmm. if I have a marvelous dinner from the night before that I could heat up, I don't know. Yeah. I just like a granola and or like eggs in the morning. That's just my thing. Oh my God. Love it. Love breakfast food. Love biscuits and gravy. Oh, oh yeah. That's yeah. Omaha food. Man. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I used to, I don't do this anymore, but I used to eat so many chicken fried steaks for breakfast. What? Oh, <laughs> love it. Can't do that too much. All right, Joe. How and when were you introduced to the idea of God in your life? I had a very traditional Catholic upbringing. And this was interesting because it was in the 70s and 80s when some people feel like they lost out on the Catholic traditions. They became more experimental or whatever. My parish was very, we had rosaries, adoration of the Blessed Sacrament, you know, stations of the cross, uh, venerating the cross on Good Friday, Holy Thursday, all of the classic Catholic stuff. So you couldn't divorce my life from being Catholic. It's just there go hand in glove. Um, I was an altar server. I was reader at the first mass in our new church. The, I did the first reading at the you know first mass in our new church. I mean, all of that stuff is just kind of who I am. Were you um, more drawn to the formality of the religion, to the rituals of the religion than other members of your family, other siblings? You know, that's so funny because... As I talk about it now, it sounds like I was, but it was like being drawn to air. <laughs> Did you like air more than other people? No, I just, <laughs> that was the, I happened to breathe it, you know? But now I look back, I'm like, you know, I'm really grateful for the air I breathe because it gave me a foundation, you know, as an actor, as a writer, as a creator, as someone, you know, just the, 
liturgy and the sights and smells of Catholicism and the beautiful art. And, and, you know, we were just talking about Dante. And I mean, I don't know that I was more or less drawn, but I certainly did admire priests and had a certain like, that's the best thing you can be. You cannot be a bad person if you're a priest. You're going straight to heaven. You know, those images that people used to have in the old days. Mm. Priests are automatically holy and, and great men and so forth. Sure, I, I have a similar sense of that from when I was a child. And I know a lot of us, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, every boy became an altar boy. And back then, only boys could be altar servants. It's kind of sure. crazy to think about it now in the 80s. But every boy, everyone, no, no one would think of not doing it. And it was an honor and it was cool. And, and a number of us probably thought about being priests and being able to be up there and do all those things and speak words and have everyone listen to you. And But for me, it, it just stayed. Um, and I went to Creighton Prep and... But see, at Creighton Prep, which is a Jesuit high school, like you mentioned, I met guys, and I actually knew these guys before because they taught my older brothers. So they'd come over a lot for, you know, dessert after Christmas dinner or, you know, whatever. And they were just really fun, down-to-earth guys who would engage young people and were not afraid to be immersed in just the reality of life and kind of weren't sermonizing, um, we're just listening, teaching occasionally about prayer and spirituality uh, at Creighton Prep itself. We did service, we learned about social justice, we worked at homeless shelters, we you know, brought food at Christmas time to the poor, we led retreats um, for younger students. So service, men for others, all that stuff was just a way of life. So for me, that's really the foundation. I went on to do some kind of grassroots social justice work, um, but it all comes from that sense of Jesuit spirituality that's immersed in Dorothy Day and the Catholic worker and questioning struct structures of injustice, John Kavanaugh's book, Questioning Consumerism and Capitalism. It was all from that place. All of it. was That was the root. When you look back at your, those formative years, right? The, the puberty years, the teen years, the high school years. Is there any part of you that you felt like you knew you were going to enter the Jesuits at some point? Can you tell that that person was, was really into that at that level at that stage? Or were you just kind of mostly doing what everybody else was doing at that age? Um, you know, seeking out a party here and there or dating someone mm -hmm. or, mm -hmm. you know, when you look back on that, did that child know maybe where you were going to end up today? I didn't know where I was going to end up in the next 12 hours. Hmm. But, no, I mean, let me put it like this. I'm a Jesuit now, been for 18 some years. I'm not surprised that I'm here. I'm not surprised that I'm in the order. And looking back, I always liked those guys. I was drawn to the way of life, but I wasn't even contemplating what I might do in the big picture. When I was in my mid-20s, a guy thought, said, you know, Jesuit, would you consider being a priest? I said, well, I've got this girlfriend. And, you know, that was it. So I didn't think, oh, I'm going to do that. Yay. But in, fa in fact, though, actually, it's funny a Jesuit, my senior year, the last couple days of my senior year, said, have you ever thought about being a priest? And that question stayed with me. 
it was like putting that little grain of sand in the clamshell or whatever, where it just kind of irritated me and stayed with me and did not leave for a long time. Because he was very direct about it. Have you ever thought about being a Jesuit or being a priest? So yeah, it it, it was something I did not want to engage. But <laughs> you know, this is a great question as you as I think about it, because I was really immersed in the Jesuit world, Creighton Prep, knowing all these Jesuits, ended up going to a Jesuit college, Marquette University. So it was almost like, Joe. You're going to marry this girl. I'm like, I don't want to marry that girl, but I know her very well. No, this is an arranged marriage. We know her family. They're nice. You know, we like the cut of her dress. Her shoes are very nice. Her hair is clean. It's like, I don't, what? Leave me alone. I don't like her. Okay, I like her, but I don't like her. You know, so it's <laughs> yeah. like, it's, you know what I mean? It's a little bit like it stays with you in this like frightening yet attractive way. And it did for years. And then someone else would ask when I was in college, you ever thought about being a Jesuit? I'm like, whoa, don't ask that. Wow. And then I went on and did community organizing and, and you know, dated here and there and went on to New York and started acting and writing plays. And, you know, and so it was always this journey, but the question's still there. So there was a, a pinprick, but then it, it took a long time to, to kind of gestate or whatever. Joe, let's take our first break. Awesome. All right, we'll be back in a minute. At times like this, it is necessary that we ask ourselves what is worth talking about, what is worth listening to, and what we each can do to make the world around us better in our own small way. Discussions revolving around a person's beliefs and perspectives on God are something I personally can speak to, and my intention is to create a space where our deepest feelings about God and life can be expressed, heard, and better understood. That is one of the motivations behind God and Other Delicacies, and it is my humble hope that it contributes to the positive side of the cultural ledger. It is my intention to continue to create opportunities here for the presentation of those ideas that are different than mine, so that I can listen to them, come to understand them better, and hopefully, discover ways in which I and each of us can participate in fostering communities that are ultimately more fair and loving for all. Joe, before we get any further, I, I wanted to ask what your major was at Marquette. I studied journalism and political science, but you know, mainly journalism would be my calling card. Um, I wrote... I always wrote as a kid and, you know, high school, I always liked writing. So, so, um, yeah, I wrote for the paper, the yearbook, the, you know, the magazine. So writing was really your first calling. Writing is something I've done forever. Um, I remember my first short story was <laughs> related to a killer whale and a guy swimming and nuclear war. I think, you know, like, <laughs> I don't know. So, oh, dude. Know, this is the 80s, right? Yeah. So, um, I mean, whatever. Some people in the 80s were, were writing about big hair or something. But like, right, right. I was you just were child. interested in something else. But it's good. It's, it's clear. It, there's a through line between the types of subjects that interest you clearly. Yeah, yeah. Um, gloomy thoughts. Existential, <laughs> man. Existential. Existential thoughts. No, that's funny. I mean, I mean, speaking of that book and stuff, I was just thinking about being plagued by those questions. I remember in high school, 
you know, we went to this place that for Omaha is the Tony district called One Pacific Place. As you know, it's yeah. the nice. They'll have, you know, um, the Gap, you know, or the high-end <laughs> sure. places, which is new for Omaha and Limited Express or whatever. And Oh man, Eddie those Bauer. were the days back when there was yeah. no, back when there, like the internet didn't really exist. And so oh we, we were really were 10 years behind the coasts, like genuinely <laughs> right, 10 right. years behind what was going on on the coasts. And that area had been a big ranch right before they built this in the middle of Omaha, this big old ranch with yeah. horses and stuff. But wow. so I remember driving there with my sister and brother one day and you know, we're there and we're gallivanting around these nice shops. I don't know what we were doing, you know, shopping or whatever. And I just said like, well, we should go now to the poor, miserable part of town just to balance out life. And like, they're like, what the hell are you talking about? You know? And it's just that constant, like, how is it that this is here and on another part of town, you've got that and all the poverty and the struggle and the racism and so on and so forth. Right. So you were the one that like, that was cool to you. Everybody else was like, you're really bringing us down, Joe. Yeah. Yeah, no. Right. Thanks a lot. I just Joe. bought an amazing we're new pair of pants. Right. Don't come. There's nothing fun here happening. Go home. <laughs> this is not a party. No, but I've written forever. Um, after college, though, I didn't do journalism per se. I went off and became a community organizer. I always had this kind of idealistic dreams of you know, fighting for justice right out of a, a Pearl Jam song or something, mm. you know, resisting against the, the uh, you know, the patriarchy or the capitalist uh, oppressors or whatever. Um, so I did that for a couple of years in the streets of uh, Boston, um, in low-income neighborhoods. And then I went back to Omaha. And actually, Omaha was where I started acting and writing plays. Omaha actually has a great, great theater scene as you know, yeah. and there's a lot of really good actors and, and new plays coming out of there. And so I started writing and acting and I loved it and found a lovely community. This is after you graduated? This is after I graduated and after I was organizing for a couple of years. Yeah, so I'm in okay, cool. Yeah, so that's when I get into the arts. And I'd always kind of wanted to do theater and I'd seen the cool kids that did theater. I didn't know you back then. You were younger than I was, but like, wow, I'd love to do that, but I'm afraid and or I'm playing sports. So I just never did. But to me, that was like the coolest thing a human could do would be on stage saying lines and so forth. Mm. So I did that. And then I did a theater tour where I had like two lines for like nine months. (laughs) Will you go hunt my Lord? I was Curio in Twelfth Night, which if you know Curio, he has literally two lines or maybe three. And then I was also a guard. (laughs) So I said, I order you under arrest in the name of Duke Orsino or something. (laughs) <laughs> but still just being in the arts was just joyful, just pure joy. And so I continued that and moved to New York eventually and started acting and writing plays and getting produced and getting cast and doing things. And and it was awesome again, um, but I still had that, like I talked about before, this thing in the back of my head, maybe I should be a Jesuit and be like, this is really discouraging thought. I don't want to leave. I have a good life here. I'm moving up in my career. Things are happening. I'm getting to know people. I'm getting produced. You know, I'm meeting people. And yet, I remember very specifically one day coming home. And it was, I had not been there that long. And I just gotten a great role off Broadway as twin brothers 
in this detective murder mystery. And it was a rush and I had a great show and I got lots of good, you know, whatever support from people and like, yay. And I'm walking home on this high and anyone who does theater knows about this high when you have a great show, but then you're so lonely. Like you don't know what to do with it. You're like, Mm. what do I do with it? No one can fully, I can't fully explain this or have anyone else experience this. And I'm walking home. I'm like, there's still something missing in my life. Like, it's not like I'm a lead on Broadway, but I have attained a certain amount of success that I've always wanted. And, ah, there's, there's still something that I want. And for me, the answer then was, I think I want to witness to my faith as I do this stuff to somehow publicly name this theater arts, etc as part of my Christian life, somehow. Following Christ is part of being an actor and a writer and an artist And this play I just did. And I couldn't even articulate that well then, and I don't know if I can articulate it that well right now, but that was one of those moments where I'm like, I still think there's something there for me. I think what's engaging about that story is it's not that you had a moment of clarity of faith. Mm-hmm. It was that you wanted to make it public. You wanted to, I think you said, bear witness to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you wanted to, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like what you're saying is you had no one to share it with, but you could share it with your relationship to your God, to your faith. Mm-hmm. And it was in that moment that it became clear that that was actually the relationship you cherished. And in doing that, then you realized that that's the relationship you wanted to show in the way that I wear a ring on my finger to Uh show my devotion Uh to my wife. You made a commitment to your faith as, as a public declaration and then still wanted to continue in the artistic road you wanted to go on. But uh-huh. all the while, you wanted to make public actually who you were sharing that euphoria with. Mm. Wow. Can you write that down and I can put that as a mission statement on my wall? I well, think you, I think you articulated, <laughs> you just articulated what I, what I, what I've been trying to articulate for like 25 years. Like, <laughs> that is absolutely it. I mean, that even if I couldn't quite say it as well as you did right then, I want to do this for God and let other people know that I'm doing this for God. Like maybe you or someone else would like, I want everyone to know I'm in love with this woman and, and she is a huge part of my life and my life partner. When I'm acting out there, I'm acting for her and my kid. And, and, and for me, yeah, that's that my primary relationship is not with the spouse, but it is with, Christ and with God so that what a beautiful that I want people to know that yeah it's 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 amazing I'm so um enraptured by moments of clarity like that you know the moments where in our lives where the thing that we're looking for happens the anchor point a foundational piece is revealed the curtain is pulled back on something that you're like oh yeah this is actually the thing that's been there and that I want to be there. And it's time now for me to 
to show that uh, critics be damned. And, <laughs> right, right. And because I'm sure it wasn't the hippest thing, right? I mean, you're in New York right. and you're telling all these people and you're with a lot of, I mean, you're in New York, you're with a lot of people who probably have negative stories about the church. Sure, uh, sure. I mean, to me, uh, you know, and this is something I'm, I'm just going to ask this question because we were referencing, I was referencing this with you a little bit off, off mic at the break. It's very easy to, to get into conversations, especially in the entertainment world, where you just talk about religion as being out of touch. Mm. And one of the reasons I, I got into doing this show is because that just, that type of thinking didn't, I tried that on for a while. You know, um, mm -hmm. I don't consider myself devout. I don't consider myself, um, I'm not a, uh, a practicing Catholic, but I also can't deny that not only is it obviously so much more complex than to say that one side is off base or to, to somehow generalize mm -hmm. one side as, as being something you can represent in some monolithic form, you know, the, the side is, is an amalgamation of millions of people uh, of which you are one. And, right. and yet nonetheless too, there is an, there is a, a sense of the great, the great work that I see being done, the great love of humanity, of culture that exists with people that are inside the religion and people that are outside the religion. Mm -hmm. And I think one thing that I, I wanted to just get you to talk about right now is what is it like for you to be in a world where clearly you love and respect and admire all of these people that are artists around you. You want to keep in touch with these people. These are people that some of them wouldn't be welcome in certain churches, but yeah. wouldn't feel yeah. welcome. Sure. Um, and so here you make a choice that says, no, 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 I'm going to go into this cert. Now, granted, you're the kind of liberal, everyone knows the Jesuits are the liberal progressive side of it all, but still you're, you're making this choice to, to declare your love for Christ and your faith. And yet, you know that that's going to turn some people off, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, um, right, yes, yes. I wouldn't say I wore my Catholicism on my sleeve and that I was out there all the time, you know, and I, I mean, I don't know, Catholics in general don't seem to be sort of proclaiming the word, you know, and bringing up Jesus all the time in conversations. It's just not our way. But yeah, like, yeah, I, 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 I feel that also from the way I was. Yeah, it's just yeah. kind of live by example. But, right, some people, you know, question, is this a flight of fancy? Are you running from something? Is it... Have you been brainwashed by this? Are you going to leave as soon as, you know, it becomes hard or whatever? But honestly, I've never been like attacked or because if you're just authentic and just trying to live your life and be with people, hopefully they'll respect what you do and what was best for you. And I think there were some people maybe weren't surprised that I did that because I always did have religious bent and always <clears throat> kind of bring up spirituality at times or I was the guy that, on the nine month acting tour would always go to Sunday mass or mm. go to, you know, Ash Wednesday. So, so people knew that. So in that sense, it wasn't that difficult, but it was also, it was odd, you know, and it was like, 
you know, I was seeing someone at the time and telling this, telling her, and you know, it was like, okay, this is this is odd and weird, and you know, I was conflicted myself doing the thing that I don't want to do, but I do want to do, which mm. I've heard that story so many times from Jesuit novices in particular. I was drawn to it. I fought it. I ultimately acquiesced to it. It was the best thing I ever did. Right. But, right. and just this thing about a divide between religious and, and non-religious people. I just, I just have a little story. I was, I was on a, um, that relates to this perfectly. I was on a little YouTube channel with a friend who's a theater, musical theater guy. And during COVID and quarantine, heavy quarantine, he had a little talk show and he'd have people on, you know, different topics. And one day it was spirituality and it'd be into women and it as the Jesuit and them as, you know, doing the awesome things that they did. And it turned out that we all, all three of us, actually four of us, there was a guy too, we all grew up Catholic. I'm still Catholic or practicing. One of the guys who does a lot of earth spirituality and sort of save the trees kind of thing, but, you know, lovely work, had wanted to be a priest as a young guy. And he was out there working for environmental justice and for healing. Another woman worked with crystals and with healing and did all this charity work. And another woman was a musical theater person and just a great, vibrant personality and worked in kind of the Wiccan community. And someone would say, they've all left the faith. How terrible, you know? Oh my God, the Catholicism failed them or they failed Catholicism or whatever. But turn that around. And if you're a Catholic, you can say, you know what? You've got three wonderful people here for whom the foundation of their life, which went into eventually crystals or Wicca or... Wiccan or, you know, earth spirituality was their Catholic faith. And so maybe instead of looking at the depletion and saying what they don't have, they had X amount of years to create wonderful, truly wonderful people who are using their gifts in marvelous ways to serve people. So whether they practice outwardly or not is not a tragic thing. The beauty is that they're great people who are shaped in some way by this religion. You know what I mean? So the divide, it's it's not a it's not just this loss, which Catholics bemoan and Christians bemoan about people aren't going to church anymore and we're losing the young people to relativism and to new age and to yoga. But the other way to look at it is say, hey, if they grew up Catholic and they've become immersed in the Beatitudes or the corporal works of mercy or you know, love your enemies, that's a pretty good foundation wherever they go with that. So that's my sermon about that. But it really struck me seeing these these three, you know, former Catholics or lapsed Catholics or whatever you want to call it. Those those words are something I don't even like those phrases, but how often do you meditate on the nexus point between in yourself, between my mission and my faith or what I need for me? crossed with the point where my mission and my faith is what the world needs. Is that a, is that a constant like struggle or a thought? Mm. Yeah. You ask such great questions or you make such great observations. Um, you know, 
I look, let me be completely real. It's all about me. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I love it. I mean, I'm, I'm like, I don't know. I think most people think about themselves all day, don't we? I mean, I guess if you have kids and wives, you know. But like, even if you're married and having a kid, like, how does this affect me? I got to get up in the morning and I got to, you know, get up at 2 a.m. and feed the kid or, you know, whatever. Yeah. But like, I think everything comes through the frame of my own consciousness. And But like, I do know, and I've just come to appreciate that selflessness and mindful, mindless selflessness and serving of the world often serves no one. And that if I'm not taking care of myself and rooted in my spirituality, and I have a practice of prayer, meditation, um, spirituality groups, uh, spiritual direction, mass, as well as, for, you know, all that stuff just to keep me going. <clears throat> if I'm rooted in that, it serves the world well because you can just you know when you're around someone who just is healthy yeah. is just has they radiate a certain generosity or a certain you know and i don't know that i radiate that but i just know you just know people who are centered and grounded and know who they are and you feel safe around that person mm. and you know they're not caught up in their issues and they can see beyond themselves and they're comfortable in their skin and they're at peace with their creator, whatever they call that creator, whatever energy that they name is bigger than themselves or whatever that is. And so I just know I've gotten more and more. I mean, I used to organize and want to be like, you know, the next great prophet of the universe, you know, but, and that's all great, but the world doesn't need like empty shells of human beings trying to fill the world with what they themselves could use, you know? Mm. Um, so I hope that the more I take care of myself and immerse myself in my own spirituality, the more it just radiates out. I mean, th that's exactly, I just did a Jesuit program this year and the Jesuit kind of thing is we join the Jesuit life and we do our Jesuit mission to save our souls and to serve the souls of others, to aid our own souls and the souls of others, you know, they have to go hand in hand, you know, for me. Um, yeah. I mean, I'll even, I'll even say a, a heresy to the Jesuit world, but, but I'm going to say it men for others has a dangerous edge to it or a, it could have an unhealthy edge. There's a phrase that the Jesuits have used since the seventies, men for others, building men, brothers or men and women for others or men and women for and with others and it's great and it's oriented a lot of our lives including mine towards serving others but i know people who live for others so much that they lose who they are mm. um and that's no good no good and that leads to a lot of problems i mean i don't want to start preaching but it, a lot of people do this parents with kids partners with their other partner, you know, just people in their causes, me and my own stuff. I mean, it's happened. So, so I got to stay grounded in what keeps me, you know, in healthy relationships, friendships, um, a spiritual community, which I live with, you know, all of that hopefully radiates out. 
from me to others. I think that's very beautiful, man. And now that's our second break and we'll be back for the final section in just a minute. God and Other Delicacies has a weekly newsletter. If you'd like to subscribe, email me at godsdelicateshow at gmail.com and I'll put you on the list. Also, if you're listening to this show on iTunes right now, I'd love it if you scrolled to the bottom, hit five stars, and wrote a one to two sentence review. It really does help the show reach more listeners and it means a lot to me because I read them and it's nice to read nice things. All right, we're back in our final segment with Joe. And Joe, I I find this is a rare occurrence where the third segment of my show feels so wide open that we could talk about a number of different subjects, but nothing that feels imperative in my mind to ask you at this moment. And so the only thing I can think to ask you is, do you have an impulse to talk about any one thing at the moment? Thank you for kind of, kind of leaving that open. I mean... I write essays, I write, I've written this book, which is the first thing I've ever written. And, and it's great and I love doing it. And it, it engages all these questions about why does one person leave the tower unharmed and another person was caught in the 90th floor? Or the opening to the book and what really instigated um, the idea of the book was serving as a chaplain at a jail as a novice. And working with kids um, who were 12 years old, you know, this is a juvenile detention center and wanting to get them out of jail, wanting to, you know, encourage them and cite them and give them plans and let's try this. And the Bible says this and let's, you know, how can we get our life back on track, young fella, you know, and, and the guard saying, Hey dude, just by the, just so you know, you know, after a few visits saying to me, just so you know, they'll all be back. They'll all be back in jail. And he wasn't being, you know, defeatist about it. He's just, just what I've seen. They'll all be back. In other words, you can think that you're doing all this great work, and it is, you know, but you're not going to get them out of the cycle of, you know, school to jail or, you know, and back streets to jail and back to home and back to jail and back to the streets. and back. To, it's not going to happen with you just chatting with them for half an hour. And that just set me off in this question of what is going on here? Why does God allow this? God who loves those kids, God who loves me, God who loves a different 12-year-old who's just off at a soccer camp, <laughs> as opposed to this boy in jail. So that got me set off, you know, writing this book um, and stringing these essays together and creating a narrative that continues to go back to this question and just really being defeated by that and saddened by that and bewildered. That being said, though, and the book is, you know, I'm glad it's written and I, I'm glad that it's out in the world. And it's nice to have something, you know, a book with my name on it and so forth. My parents are excited. And, and again, that's creating them. I've always done that. And I love creating and bringing something new into the world. But when I was when I would see people on stage as a younger guy in high school or college, I would think that's the greatest thing you could do. And that was magic. And the idea that I could go do that, A, just as a lay person and create was a thrill. And then that I could do that as a Jesuit and that the Jesuits totally supported me in pursuing the arts 
and pursuing acting and writing and bringing new work into the world. And for me, that is just being on, I'm not a priest. Um, I'm a brother, so I don't do the liturgy. I don't perform sacraments, celebrate mass, etc. But the stage is a kind of a liturgy, you could say. I feel the same way. I mean, I absolutely have always felt the most in relation to my spirituality, to, to the divine underneath those lights, that blinding light that erases the faces that are staring at us. And uh, it's, a, it's an extraordinary experience to be there expressing it, and I, and I do understand it. And it's communal. And that's the thing about, there's one thing to write a book or to write essays, but that's alone, you know? Yeah. Um, write short stories, write poetry, but theater, and, and I've done, a, I haven't done much film or TV, you know, but just even that, but especially theater, I think is collaborative and you're with people and it's drawing truth out of you. And there's so many parallels to it because a good actor is just alive to the moment and is going to be surprising but that's how prayer is, because you just you don't prefabricate how it's going to go. You just go where it's leading you. You've just got to be open to the moment in both acting, any kind of creation, and in prayer. So yeah, I mean, that's just some of the biggest thrills and being around artists, and again, especially actors. I think I, mean, I don't know dancers too well, but you know, people who put themselves literally in front of others with just their body and their voice. <laughs> you know, I don't have an instrument. I don't have a paintbrush where I can, you know, I'm just me out there naked in front of everyone, so to speak. And there's danger and fear and excitement and thrill and all that in that. And actors are just vulnerable, lovely people um, who are just drawn to this thing that they kind of can't say no to. So one of the greatest joys of my acting life was not in New York, but it was in Omaha. And I wrote a play and I did it with my brother. We each played four characters and it was about people making amends to each other. And um, it was comic and it was set in Omaha, but it was also poignant in some ways. We were like a mother and daughter and the cheating lovers and brothers and all these different characters. Well, it was written up in the paper beforehand and Joe Hoover and Bill Hoover and people came to the show. They packed the place and it was like all the lunch ladies from my grade school. <laughs> like, like it was the women who picked me up from soccer practice. Like it was extraordinary to do this play and uh -huh. to make laugh the, the parents of my childhood friends that hadn't seen it 30 years and they all showed up. Um, so to, for me to bring this art and the writing and the acting in front of the people who kind of raised me that I had not seen so long and brought them together was just, I mean, I don't know if I got cast in a Broadway lead, if that would be as, like that was really special. And it's, you just can't beat that kind of community. So again, for me as a brother to do that, show and you know i'm not celebrating mass for these people which would be the priest track but i'm creating a different kind of experience for them publicly that uses humor you know to get people to just 
be together and laugh and 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 find commonality and even get at some truths about life. So, Joe, so we're like bending into our final five minutes or so, okay? Mm-hmm. And one thing I I like to get at a lot on this show is to talk about death in some way. And you know, in some ways, this show started about that. You know, talking about suffering and references to the tower falling and. I wonder, because of the nature of your position, do you find that people turn to you in these types of moments expecting you to have a grander insight into something like death or suffering? Do you feel a, one, do you feel like a a burden to people around you to have those, to have some some kind of answer? Mm. And two, and that might be the book, by the way. But mm. and or two, do you feel like you have something by the nature of your training? And do you feel like you are able to provide comfort in those environments for people when they need it? Yes, I do. And you know what the nature of my training is, is to find out that I don't have answers. And the nature of my training in my life has been to not give glib or religious type answers to that stuff, but to listen. And I think most people, I know, I know for me, I just want to be listened to and heard. And for someone just to know that I'm heard and say, yeah, okay. So you're feeling this, this is okay. Right. Right. I hear you. That is, I mean, you know, I'm scared, you know, my so-and-so died or, you know, et cetera. That is an unbelievable gift to just let someone be heard. Mm. And when people come to me with suffering, and that happens all the time, the, what I do, and I just, I don't know, man, I just think people don't necessarily want advice <laughs> or they don't want little spiritual bon mots or whatever. I mean, you know, in certain cases, those might help, but like I share my experience. I use, you know, it's this classic thing, but you use I statements, you know, I hear you, I, you know, when my cousin died, I mean, this didn't happen, but, you know, I felt this way to let people know they're not alone in this. So it takes the pressure off me to feel like I have to have an answer. Mm-hmm. And so I don't try to mind read and say, okay, what does this person need to hear? And, and what's the you know, wisdom from Thomas Aquinas that could, could help? But to listen and then share my own experience without an advisory capacity or posturing as a wisdom figure, but to acknowledge the problem and to let people know they're heard and loved exactly as they are, whatever the struggle is. Um, That's whether that's training or just things I've learned from what I need. I just know that my job is just to be with people as a, as a fellow traveler, so to speak. I'm not your spiritual guide. I'm someone who can share my experience. That's the best way I've found. That's really beautiful, man. Yeah. One of the things I think is fascinating as I sit and think, put myself in your place here is like, I have like some of these very kind of, you know, stereotypically cultural responsibilities, right? I got a young child. I got a wife. I got these things that are just going to like eat up the next 20 years of my life. And they're Mm -hmm. in like in a lovely way, right? And all the wonderful things that come with that. But it's like so clear that I'm going to be doing this for a long time. And 
I mean, I understand that we're in our middle age or whatever, but you have a lot yeah. of years left. And I think that I have some impulse to ask a question that's around like, maybe the question is by entering the order, does that undercut ambition in some way? Mm. Is that like a buttress mm. against amb against the dangers of ambition and the, and the mm. temptations of ambition? Because mm. you know what you've committed yourself to. You are not committing yourself to the project that makes a ton of money. Because if it makes a ton of money, it goes back to the order. Right. You're not going to be like, I mean, you may travel the world, but you won't travel right. the world in extravagance. Right. But you're an artist and in, and obviously, and not just artists, but all people have a desire to grow something or build it, uh, you know, to have success, even if it's success on behalf of the order. Sure, sure. How do you dance with ambition? <laughs> God, you just get right to the heart of things and the things that I actually wrestle with. And did I did a 30-day retreat last year, a silent retreat for the Jesuits called the Spiritual Exercises of St. Ignatius. And one of the things I brought to prayer was, can I be free to be judged only by God if I don't attain my career goals, you know? Mm. Would I be okay if I, you know, didn't get X, Y, or Z? And I can explain what those are in a second. But the question of ambitioning, it's funny because that's actually like a verb in the Jesuits, to ambition to be the superior general, to ambition to be the provincial, meaning the top dog in your region, mm. the, to ambition to be the head of the house. It's not okay. You're not supposed to do that because the church was so corrupt in Ignatius's times and people were just out for avarice and greed and getting land that he cut it all out. You cannot overtly, you cannot, you know, claw and scratch your way to the top of the rung in the religious world. Hmm. So we don't ambition and cling to, I got to be, you know, at Marquette University, I got to be the, a lot of Jesuit working schools, the chair of, you know, the department in, in um, you know, Santa Clara or whatever. But but I'd be lying if I didn't say that I want material success like other people. But the key is, can I be free if it doesn't happen? Yeah. <laughs> and trust that only God can judge me. Only God can judge me. I don't need to be judged by my the old friends back home or other actors that say, oh, you haven't got this far or... Nick D'Augusta or, you know, not that you would ever judge me, but anybody, you know. And when I came to New York, I started writing plays. I got, and I produced my own work. And then I got cast as, in the ensemble, it was very exciting. And um, with, you were in a show with John Lithgow, right? He yeah, was King yeah. Lear. And yeah, It was yeah, just I saw a thrill yeah, to be yeah. working with these folks. It was just like awesome. And at Benning and Clark Peters and on and on. And so... I want to go back to that place. I want to be more than soldier number five. You know, hell yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's great. But if it becomes consuming, you know, if it's, if it's uh, you know, if I leave behind this sense of, you know what? This is about God, not about my own. You know, I've auditioned for shows, like I auditioned for a show called Path, like seven times as like, you know, I, what do they call it? A co-star or something. Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, those small roles and didn't get cast. 
of course I'd like that success. Oh, Joe was cast in the, did you see him in the path or whatever? And I still want that. And that's great. That's, you know, I want to work with good people as an actor and just bring the craft to the highest level possible and to work with people who call that out of me. And you only get better by working with really good people. But can I be okay if it doesn't happen, you know, in that level or in, or in that way? I mean, that's, that's the, that's the place where the rubber hits the road is to be able to trust that, that it's enough that what I've done end of day, hang up my gloves, you know, and what you did is enough and it's okay. And, um, no, I still, I still ambition, but hopefully in good ways, but when it gets to be, there's an evil spirit that gets in there and it gets in there for all of us for, uh, fame, uh, to prove it to the people back home, you know, look, I made it, I'm good. That's not healthy. That's not a good spirit. And I know it for me, it's not anyway. Um, it's, it's about how can I serve and glorify God? And if that, if that goes into these, you know, these more um, visible places and higher end sort of platforms, great. But if it's not about serving God, then it's for me, it's not going to be healthy. Yeah. yeah. Hey man, I think that's, it's so, um, look, I grew up around, I grew up around priests and grew up in a very religious world. And I think there's just a ton of value in hearing from people like you who are in that world, who've made that choice, as we talked about, to, you know, to profess this love of this relationship you have to God and, but share so openly and with such reality about humanity in such a relatable Mm. way. I think there, certainly as I was growing up, you know, it's not that I didn't, understand that everyone was human, but there is a, I mean, like anybody in an authority position, whether you're a priest or whether you're a professor or whether you're the head of the business, there's an element of not wanting to, to show yourself too much, uh, show what's behind whatever curtain. And Mm. I really appreciate these moments where where you're speaking so openly about your journey and yourself and your struggles, they're so relatable. They are so very much the struggles. I ask questions because they're the same struggles I have. Mm. And I want to know what it's like for you and the way that your your training and, and your commitments inform the way we all look at these very human challenges. And mm. I just want to mm. say thanks. Thanks for being open and thanks for being generous and thanks for sharing all that stuff. Thank you. This was a joy. I could go on for three more hours. I love having you as a conversation partner. You ask great questions. I love the way you think. It's just, it's been a blast. Thanks, man. Thank you very much. And thank you all for listening. Let me just try a different room. Just see how that would work. Just a second. Um, all right, hold on. Sorry. That's okay. Thank you. Well, I-
walking through the house, past more Jesuits. You could interview them. Hi. <laughs> I want to be on a live talk show. Um, 